Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm Troy Richards, the senior pastor here at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri. I'm joined by our worship pastor, Daniel Mawson, and we're glad you decided to join us today. This podcast was created to show how all of God's Word leads us to a better understanding of Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior and Lord. Our church is working through a reading plan to read the entire Bible in a year, and each week we invite people to share what insights they've learned and what the Holy Spirit has revealed through the reading of God's Word. We'll also address some questions, some serious, some that are a lot of fun to talk about, all from this week's reading. And we pray that you will see how amazing the Bible is to read each and every day. And by us sharing some of our highlights, we hope you will be inspired to read it for yourself. You can find our reading plan and read along with us at www.firstbaptistjackson.com. Well, welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. My name is Daniel. I'm here with Pastor Troy today. Yo! Yeah, we're very excited. We're going to jump into some cool stuff today. Daniel, it has been an exciting week of reading. It has been, uh, these are some of the most, uh, I'll say this is, this is the greatest part of all scripture. <laughs> we'll say that every week. Uh, this, uh, a lot of people really struggle with Leviticus. And I hope that if you got started in Leviticus and you kind of got weighted down as it was going through some of the laws and so forth, that you've really pressed through and uh, because when you get to the end, learning about the Ju- we've been looking at the Jubilee, we've been looking at uh, Moloch and sacrifices to him. And, 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 and really, God is trying to draw this contrast between the nation of Israel and all the nations around them. And so you have all these different laws that are being funneled down. But really, he's trying to say, uh, if you understand the context of what they have been through in Egypt, what other nations are practicing around them. He's really trying to say, I want you to be different and distinct, and this is how I want to be worshipped. And so he's going through. But but laying out this process of of a Sabbath rest and so forth, that that's uh, the land needs to rest. And this really is, is laying the course for how uh, they're going to disobey God later, and he's going to take them into captivity and give the land the rest that uh, it needs. And, and also foreshadowing uh, Jesus being the rest that uh, we all need, giving giving us all. Uh, he is our Sabbath, so to speak. We're also looking at some Psalms of David, which are amazing, uh, as David goes through uh, strength and, and a need from God and so forth, as well as uh, just a collection of Proverbs that uh, just... Uh, this is a, a section in the reading where you just get little tiny nuggets of wisdom. And and one of the reasons why the readings are so short in Proverbs, and, and one of the reasons I like this reading that we're taking the church through, is because it does take Proverbs and breaks it up. Because sometimes if you just read like chapter 10, 11, 12 of Proverbs all together, you have so many, it, it goes all over the place. It's a lot of one liners. It, it is a lot of one line, nuggets of wisdom, but by taking it and breaking it down to little things, it gives you a little bit of a moment to think on it and to meditate upon it. And then we'll also be looking at the Gospel of Mark and some amazing things in the Gospel of Mark happening where Jesus is dealing with legion, uh, a host of demons, and casting demons out, also a woman that needs healing. And so uh, this is going to be a great, a great. Um, week of study. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, there was actually, I was looking at my notes, and I I, I enjoyed Leviticus in this section more even than some of the others. Um, it was, I, the foreshadowing is what gets it for me. I think that's probably the best part of Leviticus, because I don't, I don't take special notes on how I'm supposed to sacrifice a cow. 
you know, next week. Yeah. Worship I, to me doesn't. I'm always stunned by the, um, and this is back in Exodus 2, the not boiling a goat's in its mother's milk. Mm. That I don't know why that law has stuck out to me over the years, <laughs> but I've always wanted to do it just to, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm, like, I'm trying to think of the context of when that would come up. It's like, okay, you know, hey, let's, let's, <laughs> let's take a goat. Hey, hey try. I have a great uh, idea. I have a great idea. Let's try it. New announcement video. We got a new, we got a, this baby goat and we're going to eat <laughs> it. And uh, to prepare it, well, we're going to boil it in its mother's milk. I, I'm not sure how that even, uh, yeah, again. Well, what's it called when you marinate something? Perhaps. You know, you, it I, I don't just know. tastes more goaty. Yeah. I know, but and nothing else. It's not you know. Don't it never says you know like a baby calf. Human blood. Yeah, nothing. yeah. Just, it's like weird, weird stuff. But anyway, I'm sure that was one of those things that I'm sure in that time period and probably could Google this and find out. But uh, that maybe that's what other people were doing. Sure. And he's saying, hey, you've been given this recipe by these Canaanites. Don't cook your goat that way. Don't do that. Yeah, don't <laughs> do that. Yeah. But it was important enough to list as in one of the laws. So. Yeah. There you go. I don't. I have not ever broken that law, by the way. Wow. I have never committed that sin. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm surprised Jesus was able to. Though I do feel free in Christ to do so since I'm not (laughs) Jewish. Oh, man. All right. So, what what stuck out to you this week, Daniel? Well, for me, I guess I'll start in Leviticus um, for me, but um, I'm just kind of looking at my notes. In Leviticus chapter, um, at the end, I'll work backwards, in chapter 27. Um, when it's talking about exchanging um, exchanging sacrifices um, yeah. where that that are marked for um, for sacrifice, right? You have this sheep, and you don't want to sacrifice this sheep, so you want to sacrifice this other one, or whatever reason that you would have. God says basically, don't do that. But if you do, here's how you do it. And He said you can you can exchange one sacrifice for another, but the one the original sacrifice is still holy, right? Um, which passed me by the first few times I read it, and then I was like, wait a second, Jesus was was exchanged. It's this whole foreshadowing thing, yeah. that it, it's this language that's given to God's people, and they don't realize it for forever, you know, years and years and years, and then Jesus comes on the scene, and his exchange of his holiness for our holiness makes mm-hmm. us holy and doesn't decrease his holiness. Yeah. Um, so that was cool, cool moment this week for me. Uh, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Um, similar to when um, we talked about the woman who has the bleed, um, yeah. who is um, who when she touches Jesus, she would generally make him unclean, but he made her clean. Right. Um, that kind of exchange. That's pretty cool. Yeah, he didn't lose any holiness. He didn't lose his holiness. Yeah. She became holy because of her association with him because of that exchange. So I love the touching of the hem of the garment. It's probably one of my favorite stories in Scripture, and it's in multiple Gospels, but it's it's one of those those times where you have Jesus crowded amongst all these people and and all of a sudden he stops and he says, Whoa, somebody touched me mm. and, and you can and you can put yourself almost in that situation of sensing all these people crowding around him and the gospel writers do a great job of describing this. Even where the disciples are going, there's uh, lots of people it's like there's you. lots of people touching you. What in the world are you talking about? But he and this woman knows that she's been found out and she's trying to do it discreetly. I mean, she wants to be healed, but she doesn't because she's not allowed to touch him. I mean, she she knows that she is she can get in a lot of trouble for touching a rabbi who is who's holy and clean. And so and she's unclean. And if she touches him, 
Traditionally, it would make him unclean, but she can't make him unclean. And so in her in her fear, overcoming her fear of being made unclean and touching Jesus, the opposite occurs. Instead of her making him unclean, she, even ceremonially, uh, she he makes her clean. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, of course, transforms her life because yeah. now she's made clean and able to – her worship has been restored. Her ability to go to the temple has been restored. Her ability to touch other people has been restored. Uh, it is uh, – it's just an incredible moment where Jesus – and Jesus singles it out and takes the moment to tell her uh, and to teach everyone you know, that it is her faith that is healed. It, it is a, a powerful story of how uh, when we are desperate and, and how we feel as though we are unclean or unworthy in whatever situation we're in, that the, we still have one thing that we are all supposed to do, and that is we're supposed to pursue Christ. We're to come to him. There's, there's no other person we can go to to be made right, to fix our issue, uh, and so uh, Jesus is it. Uh, and and it's and it's kind of crowded in there in a story where he's where he's going to heal this uh, synagogue leader's daughter and and then she winds up dying and then he goes up raising her from the dead but uh, but still it's it's a, a powerful moment yeah that's awesome um, right next to that uh, five verses before that it says um, in verse twenty eight of chapter twenty seven Leviticus it says um, anything devoted to destruction is most holy to the Lord. So it, 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 we've given this whole book of things that are holy to the Lord, and that's holy, and that's holy, that's not holy, that's unclean, that's detestable, this is holy. And then at the end, it's that the most holy thing is that which is um, devoted to destruction. Wow. And and then it gives us the, the foreshadowing of Jesus. Yeah. And it's like, oh, Oh man, the most holy thing is that which God has prepared to destroy. You're really taking this understanding Jesus thing to a new level. Oh you? man, it's it's all you can do. You got to do something with Leviticus. <laughs> <laughs> it is exactly, yeah. Um, I um, there was a, a passage in um, for me in Leviticus 16 mm. uh, where it says, "And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die." Mm. For, for I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. He, here Aaron has specific instructions. Now, his sons have already died <laughs> because they have handled the fire uh, incorrectly and, and, and didn't, do, uh, didn't handle the holy things the way God instructed for them to. And so an incredibly graphic representation of how important to maintain the holiness of God was through the death of his sons. And and so here he, he's saying, all right, now make sure Aaron has this clear. Yeah. That this is it's not clearly not something they've talked about in their family. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you just can't approach me anytime you want to. You have to be prepared to approach me. You have to be. There's there's a whole system of things to to get you ready to come into my presence. Uh, all you know, and and then you know when you look forward, and then Jesus comes, and it's like everybody's around him, and everybody comes into his mm-hmm. presence, and so it, it it's just it's like juxtaposed because it's like here you have. God's so unapproachable, and then and then you have him so approachable, and it's like how can how can this be the same we God? This. Yeah, how how can those two things fit together? And and it's and it's that God is making Himself available. And one of the things that stuck out to me as I was reading this is that God and man cannot coexist as a result of the fall. That either we have to die when we come to His presence. Or he has to die mm. when he comes into our presence, and and he to wow. reconcile us 
he willingly gave himself to die, knowing he could not coexist in the midst of all the sin, that the sin would overtake him and eventually kill him. He submitted himself into that environment and allowed it to take its effect. Uh, A powerful, uh, I mean, just testament of the testimony of the love of God. But I think here in the Old Testament, it has to be established that uh, he is holy, you know, and that and, and how how we cannot get to him, how how difficult it is to approach him, how unreachable that the God was. And yet he still bridged that divide for us. Mm, that's good. Something else um, was um, in Psalm 26, where uh, David says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I've walked in my integrity. I've also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord. Uh, improve me. Try my mind and my heart. And um, I jotted down, I said, when we disobey the Lord and embrace the lies of the enemy, when we succumb to the flesh and indulge ourselves in the fruit of evil, we forfeit our confident standing in the Lord. We give the enemy a foothold and cast doubt on everything. The only thing to do is repent and walk in the newness of life that is offered to us through the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. It really, so many times people ask, you know, how do I know if I'm saved? How do I know if I'm right with God? Well, you're not right with God if you're in disobedience. Mm. The only way to know you're right with God is to be walking in obedience. It has to be that way. Everybody wants to feel good in their disobedience. It's just not possible. And God has made it that way because to stay in disobedience is to stay out of fellowship with him. So he's always trying to draw us back. There's no safety apart from him. There's no there's no place where the enemy, uh, the only place where the enemy can't get to us <clears throat> and cause destruction in our lives is in the presence of the Lord when we are being obedient to him. And when we leave that safety and given the enemy a foothold, God allows that lack of confidence and that unsureness of our of our of our salvation even to drive us back to him because and the good news is is that if you feel like you're lost well then all you have to do is repent and come back to him (laughs) and then you'll be fine uh you know there is a first time that you do that that you are saved and made new but it is a continual working out of that salvation for the rest of your life on this planet yeah i had something in psalms uh in uh in psalm 28 1 it says um to you, O Lord, I call, my rock, do not be deaf to me. For if you're silent to me, I will become like those who go down to the pit. And just what I wrote down um, is God's, like to David, God's silence was equal to death for him. And hmm. and I get it. You know, I you know David walked with God on a, on a different, on a level so much so that God called him a man after God's own heart. And he didn't do that for Daniel, Mawson. Hmm. Um, but... But I get it. David's distress when God is silent. That's such a such a hard cry. Like, I when I have periods of time that God is so almost audibly speaking to me on a daily basis, mm-hmm. when I go for a time without that, mm-hmm. it's crushing. And and I feel like you were talking about just totally lost. What do I do? Yeah. And then if I'm not, if I don't like, if I'm in sin, if I don't repent, if I don't, whatever's going on, if I don't come back to the Lord and we reconcile, we have that coming back together then that's just a just a, a cyclic cyclical pit that you can just get trapped in assuming it's never going to get better yeah and i've been in that do you watch parks and recreation you know i've watched the first episode 
and that's it. But my brothers have informed me that it's better even than The Office. Because there's a, there's a song that the guy sings called The Pit. Uh, <laughs> Do you want to sing it? And I've right got now? It, I've got it in my head. I'm yeah. not gonna sing it, oh. but uh, but anyway, it was just our listeners need it, to know. It would be a funny reference if you had actually watched uh, Andy sing. Sorry, uh, uh, I fell down in the pit. He fell down in the pit, broke both his legs, and then he wrote a song about it. Oh wow! Yeah. Anyway, it's um, <laughs> it'd be so much. Maybe better. I'll insert it in the yeah. Anyway, later. well, yeah. <laughs> this is not an endorsement of Parks and Recreation in any way, form or fashion. Um, I also uh, put something down about. Um, Mark seven six through eight. He answered and said to them, "Well did I well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, mm-hmm. as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, uh, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do." Uh, and you know. It, it, I wrote down uh, a trap of the enemy is to come up with procedures and policies that we can follow instead of continually examining God's word through prayer and the empowerment of his Holy Spirit. We mm-hmm. think if we figure it out then uh, and then write it down, we have gained some serious ground. But many times it's like trying to decide what to buy my wife for Christmas. If she would just tell me, <laughs> then I wouldn't have to try and guess uh, what to do. But getting the right gift is more about right relationship than it is knowledge and uh, where scripture is silent or unclear we can't just fill in the blanks or provide our own clarity because um, we're fallen and infallible and so we have to it forces us to have to have a relationship with the Lord and pray and and seek uh, guidance of the Holy Spirit for direction in those um, in those difficult times in, in fact for the church as a whole it forces the body of Christ to stay in right relationship with him um, in order to discern what he desires from us you know and that's one of the things that I've always prayed for our church is that each of each person within our church finding out what it is that they are gifted in what God's um, what God's called them to do their place within the body of Christ getting together with other people who feel gifted in that area and then together praying for God's direction Instead of, you know, so often when we think of Baptists having committees and so forth, it's like we put a committee together and it's like we say a token prayer at the beginning of a meeting and then we all just try to think, use our best wits mm-hmm. to kind of come up with solutions when we know that it's not our mind, our wisdom, our, our knowledge that we're really looking for. We're looking to see what is God communicating through his word to all these different people. And so that requires all those people to be obedient to God in his word, guided by the Holy Spirit. And when one person is in sin, then it throws that whole group off. It should be exposed because if you have five people in a group and four people are walking in sync with God and one person's not, it should be clear, why is this person not in sync with the rest of us? Because we are all seeking God's guidance and Holy Spirit. And then it should be revealed that, oh, it's sin in this person's life, which is more important than the object of the meeting. It's more important to bring that brother back, brother or sister back into a close relationship with God. That's that's what's supposed to be happening within the church, but we sometimes think it's more important to figure out what the committee is supposed to accomplish. You yeah. know, how do we get this job done? As if God cared. <laughs> you know, that, that <laughs> so we, he couldn't do it himself. As, yeah, exactly. As, as if as if he said, ah, oh, if you don't get this uh, this potluck to to go, you know, without a hitch, <laughs> then obviously the kingdom of God is going to fail. But Right. Uh, but anyway, good I stuff. wrote down the same same uh, section a couple of verses later in verse 9, chapter 7 of Mark. 
um, when it says, Jesus says, you are experts at setting aside the commandments of God in order to keep your tradition. I think people, uh, people look at people my age, I'm a millennial, and um, think, oh, you know, the, the older generations get a lot of junk about having traditions and traditionalism. And that's, that might be rightly associated in some areas, but we have that too. You yeah. know, I have things that I have, my rituals, my things that I have to do. I was talking to my wife yesterday about, we were talking about what we were going to do that night, and we had laid down some ideas, and I went off um, and came back a few minutes later and said, we have to do one of these because now I'm set. I have my brain made up that I have to follow in whatever we've just said, so please don't change it. Um, and I, and even in a little thing like that, I was laying aside my God's command on me to love and serve my wife right? and just, just dictated that we were going to do one of the things that we had talked about. Um, and so little family moments like that and big church moments that we all get together and do traditionalism is a problem for all of us. Yeah. Um, And if, when we're not paying attention to what the Holy Spirit's saying in the moment, we just default back to what we've always done or what our personal ritual might be. And, and, uh, And we always have to take into consideration that people who put that tradition in practice weren't in the right mindset or weren't mm. – I mean, they're fallible people. Sure. They could have had great intentions, but when they were piecing it together or whatever, God was not in it. Uh, it does not have the weight of his word. And that's what Jesus was trying to upend with all the Pharisees at the time. Is like they were like, you don't follow the tradition, so you don't follow this oral tradition, the the Talmud. You know, how could you – how could you just throw that off? And he's like, you know, you – toss aside the commandments of Moses. Mm. You know, he told you to honor your father and mother, and now you've come up with all these rules to keep you from doing the very thing that God told you to do. And and that's and that's what we do. We mm. exempt ourselves. We come up with new ways to exempt ourselves from uh, saying, "Here's the rules we're going to follow." When it's like, oh, he, you're you're you've created these new policies and procedures, but you've circumvented the intent of what God's already commanded us in His Word. Yeah. Uh, for instance, to love other people. I mean, Jesus made it very simple: love other people as I have loved you. And we try to figure out ways not to love people. Yeah. Uh, we try to figure out what you know. He he says, you know, somebody asks for your shirt, give me your coat too, and, and we try to figure out how do I, or vice versa. But uh, we try to figure out how do I, how do I still be obedient to Jesus and get to keep my shirt, you know? <laughs> and it's like that's that's the whole point. That's right. That's good. We need to take a break, Daniel. Yeah. Well, when we come back, we will talk about um, some other little fun things. We will do some question and answering. We'll Ooh. we'll dig into some of the meteor stuff. Um, and we'll keep going. So That's we'll right. be right back. And when we come back, I guarantee we will not be talking about any politics. <laughs> <laughs> Just say it's a politic-free zone. Definitely. Probably. <laughs> And we're back. Hope you guys had a great break. I know we did. Um, we are going now to dig in to some more topics and ask, talk to ask, some questions. Ask ourselves some questions. <clears throat> we normally have somebody here uh, that's asking us questions, so we're just questioning ourselves. So <laughs> I, if we ask ourselves a question we don't know the answer to, that's going to be an awkward This moment. is really just the out loud expression of what goes on in a moment by moment. <laughs> 
That's basis. Right. That's right. <laughs> I wonder why God did that. Yeah. Pastors can't ask questions, <laughs> Troy. You're supposed to know everything. Exactly. I learned that a long time ago. I had a professor who, uh, who was like the he wrote a commentary on the Book of Acts, and he was like this foremost authority on the book of Acts and so forth. And I had all these questions about Acts that I wanted to ask him, uh, uh, to ask him, to ask him. <laughs> but anyway, I, uh, the, uh, uh, and then I, I, like two or three questions, I remember looking at him and he goes, um, hmm, I don't know. Cool. And I was like, well, if you don't know, who knows? <laughs> who he goes, knows? I don't guess anybody knows. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, so there are questions that we don't know the answer to. So that was a really, so it gave me comfort in in life that there are things that you're going to think of that we just don't know. God didn't tell us, so we'll just have to, but we do know some things. So So Daniel, let's talk about it. Ask one. Okay, here's a question. In the book of Mark, we're talking about the Syrophoenician woman. My first question is, how do you pronounce Syrophoenician? Syrophoenician. Syrophoenician. Yeah. Thank you. That's my first question. Yeah. Second question. Which means she's not Jewish. She's not. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. Well, that's that context comes up later because she asks Jesus to heal her daughter who's possessed by an unclean spirit. And Jesus says no, which is, we could stop there. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, I'm going to keep going. And Jesus says, no, I've come to feed the children, not the dogs. So he basically insults this woman. And the woman says, yes, but the dogs get the, um, I've come to feed my children. And um, is it right that the dogs should eat before the children? She said, yeah, but the dogs also get the crumbs dropped from the table from the, from the children. So can't you give me a little something, something? And he says, you've answered well. And he, then he says, your daughter is healed, and it, the interaction over. Yeah. And I guess I'm wondering, what in the world? You know, Jesus has these encounters uh, when he meets the woman at the well also. there's this. She's a Samaritan woman, and there's this awkwardness of the fact he's talking to a woman, the fact that he's talking to a Samaritan woman. And here you have him talking with a non-Jewish woman, and and... And you have to kind of, knowing the context of the situation, knowing the character of Jesus and so forth, I don't think Jesus was walking around insulting women. Uh, <laughs> that's not, I think, what's to be drawn from it. It is a awkward uh, text because it does give this, especially in our understanding of language and, and context clues and so forth, it feels like he's really being insulting. I My take on this is more of just understanding nature of people, understanding, again, the context clues that are given, is that he's... He's saying, uh, why are you talking to me? You know, why? Mm. He says, you do understand. Cause, and, and Jesus does this several times throughout the New Testament, like basically saying, you do get that you're breaking some rules here. <laughs> you know, you understand that I'm Jewish and and this is this is how our, we do things and how things how function. And, 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 and to see if she's why she's there, what's her motivation. And she overcomes that barrier. She presses in. So it's like a test. It, yeah, it is. It's like he's he's seeing what her, exposing her real motivation. Now, I believe he already knows that because mm-hmm. he's Jesus, obviously. Right, right. So in each of these encounters, I think it's for the purpose of his disciples around him. I think for the people around him, he's they are all thinking he is not supposed to help her, that the Messiah is not for the Syrophoenicians, the mm. Messiah is for the Jews. So he's just saying out loud what everybody what else thinking. is thinking already. Yeah, sure. And he does that throughout uh, the New Testament. Uh, and so 
So in this moment, the great moment is that she doesn't buckle. She doesn't say, yeah, but you bunch of Jews or, or, you know, (laughs) she doesn't take a dark turn. She presses in and says, you know what? But even uh, there's enough God for even, you know, for God fearing people who are not Jewish, there is still something there. And and so he and and then he is shares how remarkable her faith is. Mm. That she, in spite of all the cultural barriers, in spite of all the traditional barriers that are hindering her from getting to Christ, she presses through believing that God has something for her. And then, of course, he rewards her and says, absolutely, God has something for you. Mm. And uh, so it's, it's an incredible story. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, one uh, One thing I was looking at in Leviticus, I've always had this kind of uh, tension in my brain about the Jubilee Um, and, um, just because I know like Israel never actually, we don't have record of Israel actually doing it, of actually ever completing the Jubilee requirements. Um, so, so in my brain, I guess I always had this kind of tension of they probably couldn't have anyway, like it wouldn't have even worked. Like how does that work economically? But then I saw, I'm going to kind of half answer my own question and then leave it, leave it to you, but I saw it like in verses 8 through 12, it gives the instructions. You know, the social classes are supposed to come back together. Slaves are released. You get your land back. It's all good. Um, And then I said, but what about how do you – but the value of that, people would not – but it goes on. And that's the part that I always missed is that it goes on and it says – the value will change based on how close you are to the Jubilee. Yeah. And God you're, to gives. Calcul- you're to calculate yeah. it based on the year of Jubilee. And it's, yeah. yeah, exactly. And so like, and what that just did for me is say that God doesn't just say things without a plan. Yeah. You know, he's got things in his head. He knows that what he tells you to do is going to work. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, something else on top of that is leading up to the Jubilee, you have these seven years of, of, of you know, at the end of seven years, you're supposed to give the land a Sabbath rest. So mm-hmm. six years of using the land, one year to let the land rest. And he even says that in the sixth year, I'm going to increase your harvest, mm-hmm. and it's going to be enough to take you through three years because you have to take the rest of the year, then you have to plant the next year, and then and then you mm-hmm. have the harvest the year after that. And he said, so I'm going to give you enough to eat the old produce to get you through these years. Now, he's already established that he can do this <laughs> through when he provided manna for them mm-hmm. and in the wilderness. He's already shown, I'll give you twice as much manna on day six. Mm-hmm. You collect that. It will not rot on day seven as it does on the other days if you keep it over uh, an extra day. You know, with manna, the rules were you go out each day, you collect enough just for that day, and you get rid of whatever you have left over. You don't carry it over to the next day, except on day six. And on day six, it supernaturally is preserved through the following day. And here he's saying the same principle is going to be when you get into the promised land. Supernaturally, I will increase the harvest, and it will stay good for these three years in order, until we, it's restored. And so he's given them this. They never did it. you know. <laughs> and, and one of the things that really just blows your mind about when you think about the Israelite people and the Hebrews is that we, we think of them as being a godly nation, but they were more pagan than they were godly. Mm. You, we read 
uh, from the prophets and we read from the perspective of it would be like looking at the United States today and trying to call this a Christian nation. Mm. Well, there's no evidence <laughs> in our culture that we are a Christian nation. Right. There are Christians within the nation. The word of God is proclaimed here, but it's not practiced by the people as a whole. And that's the way it was with them. It was not being practiced. And so here you had this amazing opportunity to see God's... I mean, he's saying, I'm going to take care of you. I just think how cool that would have been mm. to see how, you know, the increase of this harvest and just how how that would have strengthened your faith. Right. And you would have seen, wow, we how <laughs> the produce has tripled. Well, and you, you know. would think, and this is what this is what bugs me, and because it bugs me about myself, is because you read it and you would think that they're given double helping, triple helping on that sixth year. Yeah. So they can take the whole next year off. Right. They have a year that they don't have to work. To rest. To rest. And and that is not something that, that we can't fathom that. Yeah. To have that much blessing. But what they must have done is the greed must yeah. have taken over. Yeah. Um, that's the only explanation I can come up that's with. That's right. And the lack of faith. Lack of like, faith. Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't God think it's must good. have blessed them on that yeah. sixth year, but they used it to further them financially or whatever they did they they wasted it and i and i this is how i think of that i think of it in time and money i think of it like when there are so many times i say i just don't have the time to do that mm. and if i go back and actually calculate i realize <laughs> oh he did give me the time to yes. do it but i used it for things that he never asked me to do right and squandered it same thing with money it's like i don't people say i don't have enough money to tie they don't have enough money it's like now he's provided for everything you needed you took he blessed you twice as much or gave you the additional money that you needed for whatever it was that was coming up ahead but you didn't ask yourself maybe i shouldn't buy that 70 inch color television <laughs> with this extra uh you know because like, you get, threw in like for instance television. you get a tax refund and everybody's getting tax refunds right now and you're like you get an extra thousand dollars we absolutely need to pause and go, why did God give me that extra thousand mm. dollars? There's something that he has out in front of me that I'm going to need that for. So just put it away, you know, <laughs> just the, be, be a little bit more like Joseph, you know, and, and put it in reserves and then wait and see what God has for you because he did bless you, mm. but he has a purpose in that blessing. He has something, he's got something he wants you to use that for. It may be for you to take a vacation or, or something or to buy this. He may want to give you the 70 inch color television, but he may not. Right. And so just uh, just make sure that you, again, it's being in that relationship. But because we're out of relationship, we are just like the Israelites, and and we never get to that point of jubilee. The good news is, and this is our understanding Jesus moment, is that Jesus is the jubilee. He is the one who is setting the captives free. He is yeah. the He is the liberation of servanthood. He is the one who sets us free from the bondage of sin and so forth. And so he's he's come to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord in which uh, the slaves will be uh, free. And that's, and so uh, we actually will get to experience this jubilee in Christ um, as well as all Jews who put their faith in him. That's good. I had a couple of things that um, stuck out to me. Things, questions I, I have had in the past is me asking questions and giving the answer to it. Um, one was the feeding of the 5,000 and then the feeding of the 4,000. There was a time when I first read, started reading God's Word at Younger, I thought, I wonder if they just simply uh, 
repeated it with two different numbers. You know, I like one was the feeding of 5,000, and the next time uh, somebody else put that it was 4,000. But then you look, and it's actually within the same gospel that they <laughs> that they, they talk about they, both. They talk about both. And then Jesus himself points out that, do, do you not remember the when the, the disciples are in the boat and they're having questions about leaven, and he says to beware the leaven of the Pharisees, and they think he's talking about bread, and he points out, did you not get the lesson of the 5,000? Did you not get the lesson of the 4,000? So he highlights both those two different events. And then it begs the question, why? Why would you have why would you have these two events? One where there's 12 baskets, uh, 12 small baskets left over. The other where there's seven large baskets left over. And one where there's five loaves and two fish. And then another where there's seven loaves and a few small fish. Uh, and, and really, it was just simply Jesus showing over and over again. John kind of gives us a little bit of a hint at this, saying, you know, we couldn't write down everything yeah. that he did. The things that are recorded are in connection with other things that are happening, other things that he's trying to teach. Jesus specifically uh, cited these two events, and so we're given those two events within the gospel. And and so you, you have, but he's trying to teach them that he is the bread of life. It is not about uh, when us forgetting, they were they were worried that they had forgotten to bring bread and that he was rebuking them. And it's like, you don't have to worry about food. You don't have to worry about making sure that you have all your provision. I am your provision. I, I, you know, I told you not to take thought for that. I told you not to think about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat, that I will take care of these things. Yet they still find themselves worrying about worrying, these things. Right. And something I, I like to highlight to people is, and I ask this question, I get the same answer every time. When you think about heaven, you know about when you die and and go to heaven, do you think about what are we going to eat for all eternity? <laughs> I mean, really, do you is it do you stay up at night going, I don't know how we're going to come up with all that food. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to produce that kind of food. You know, if we're all floating around on clouds and playing harps or whatever, wearing white robes, where's all that food production coming from? And um and then. So, I, so when I ask people the question, so where do you think the food's going to come from? They always give me the same answer. Oh, God will provide it. And I <laughs> ask then, do you think it's going to be a different God? <laughs> do you think he's going to get a new special power for all eternity? Do you think that he's going to be different than he is today? And no. It's like, so why are you worried about that provision now? Mm-hmm. Why do you think that he is not doing that currently? And uh, and we have this idea that heaven somehow is going to be infused, like like sin is the reason why we don't have food to eat. But really, God just says, don't worry about it. I, the same the same way I'm going to take care of you for all eternity, I'm going to take care of you now. And um, and you know, if you go without eating a meal or two, that's probably not going to hurt you as much. We're <laughs> probably help you. In we're a little bit gluttonous. <laughs> I don't know if you've looked around in our public today or I know myself look in a mirror I can see that I'm anybody who's ever been to Lambert's can realize that has committed uh, glutton yes exactly right we've got plenty of food we're not worried about it we shouldn't be worried about another break another break and then when we come back we'll just talk about some stuff that's going on around here uh, that you can be a part of if uh, you're close to or even go to First Baptist Jackson and um, then we'll be done so just a few minutes And we're back. We just have a couple things we want to talk about. Number one, most important, if you're listening to this podcast before Sunday, 
That's right. What you need to remember is that this week is the time change. That's right. Sunday, March 8th. March 8th. At 2 a.m., I think is when it actually changes, or 3 a.m. Yeah. So set your alarm. Set so you your get a, phone. Yeah. If you are an, a phone <laughs> alarm person, it will not fail you. If you're a clock alarm person, you are going to lose sleep. Yeah, this is the or thing. We're going to lose you. I, I don't know if you remember when iPhones and all those things first came out, because uh, you're so much younger than me, Daniel. So much younger. But, um, but one of the Troy's things that they started... Uh, when worrying that the phone was not going to automatically switch. <laughs> and so you're setting your alarm. It's like, so should I set it for this time or that time? Should I change the time in advance? And if I change time in advance, well, then it automatically yes. adjusts. So uh, I think now I think now the technology is such that we have all full confidence that the, the powers that be of <laughs> the cell phone people out there uh, will automatically switch our we'll cell phones for us. But uh, I, yeah, I, I was joking. You don't have to get up at 2 a.m. You can change your clocks before you go to bed. That's the best way to do it. That's best yes. best practice. Change all the clocks in your house before in you go advance. to bed. This is the one that you have to do. In the fall, you can when you fall back, you can not change them and get up extra hour earlier. But this time, uh, if you do that, you're going to be late. So you will be uh, late. You will be late. So spring forward, lose sleep, and we will see you Sunday. The other thing that we've been doing is who's your one? Um, Pastor Troy, you want to talk about that a little I bit? I am so excited about this campaign. It was uh, started, uh, I think the Summit Church did it uh, several years, and, and then the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention kind of adopted this as an evangelical focus, and I've talked to other churches that started at the very first of the year. We started it a couple weeks ago, and who's your one is you just saying – I've got one person I'm going to focus on sharing the gospel with, committing to pray for that person 30 days, uh, and we have a 30-day prayer guide that you can go to the version of the Bible app, um, the version Bible app, and, and just search who's your one, mm-hmm. who is your one, who, apostrophe S, your one. <laughs> this is, has nothing to do with the state of Indiana. Indiana. Uh, the, um, so we, uh, you find... you. you Find the person you're going to pray for. You pray for that person for 30 days. You're praying that they will hear the gospel from somebody. It could be you. It could be somebody else. Um, but if you are not confident in your gospel sharing skills, now's a great time to gain that confidence. And I tell people all the time, I had horrible confidence sharing the gospel and felt so awkward in doing it. You don't magically get that ability Unless you have the gift of evangelism, it's something you have to learn to do. Even if you're a preacher, if you're a pastor, it doesn't matter. You have to learn how to share the gospel. So learn how to share the gospel. It's like anything else. And the more you do it, the more confidence you get in doing it. But learn what the gospel is. There are certain points of the gospel that are important to communicate to people because it is good news. Because here's the thing. It is not about, uh, so many people think getting saved is how you feel. I feel saved or I don't feel saved. It has nothing to do with how you feel. It is a factual, rep- uh, just factual understanding of what God has done for you. There, there's a very real, uh, God has said, this is what I've done for you. And if you believe that I have done this for you and believe in these facts and put faith in these facts, then you will be saved. And that is belief that you are saved as a result of putting faith in those facts 
is an act of faith in itself, and we call that saving faith. And that saving faith is is really the the key. Uh, just getting an understanding of that, and then sharing that with other people. It is great if you just share your other your story with other people. Your story has power. But helping them to understand how they can put faith in Jesus Christ is essential. Uh, and and you know, there's millions of lost people across the globe. Billions of lost people, and that number is extremely overwhelming when you think there's no way I can reach millions of people. But there's one person who you know is lost, who you work with, or you go to school with, or you meet every day, who's the guy who's taking his garbage out when you take your garbage out. It's somebody that God is bringing to your path who doesn't know Jesus Christ, who God wants you to take the initiative to pray for that person to be saved and possibly even share the gospel with them. Yeah. And uh, those who are going to First Baptist Jackson know that um, for those 30 days that we're praying, we're also in the middle of a sermon series yes. called Who's Your One? Pastor Troy is leading us in all kinds of uh, principles and concepts from the Word that are very, very helpful in that process. We've been right. doing things as a church um, along those lines. So it's it all goes to support each other. The same place you go to listen to this podcast, you can also get the sermons on the, on the yes, subject. Yes, every other podcast episode, if you haven't noticed, is a sermon. So you can get those there. You can get it at our website at fbcj.us. And I think that's it. That's it. Right? That is the end. What a day. What a day. And we will see you guys next week on Understanding Jesus.